Welcome back to the Women of Marvel podcast, where we assemble to chat all things Marvel and more. Hey guys, it's Judy. I am all alone today because Sana is out sick. We played Switcheroo, where I got my voice back and she lost hers. Today, we are excited to be joined by Jen Bartel. So I remember the first time I got a chance to check out some of Jen's work that she specifically did for us, and those are the America Chavez covers. They're so beautiful. Her work is so uh, bright and poppy, and she really brings such interesting depth to the characters and the way that she can draw them. And also, you know, she's one of those artists out there that's figured out how to take her art and really make a way for you to sort of accessorize with it. I mean, her work, you can see it on like Metallica posters and you can buy Adidas shoes with her art on it. Um, always am uh, a gaggle around her because she's so great. Um, I'm really happy that we were able to have her here. So let's check it out. Hey, Jen, welcome to the podcast. Hi, thanks for having me. Um, so we're going to preface this podcast as it's 10 in the morning. We've got some iced coffee. Iced coffee. <laughs> Clinkling away. <laughs> Good morning. Uh, I went to a concert last night and screamed my voice away. But everything's <laughs> great because Jen Bartell has joined us. And yeah. we're so excited to finally have her. Yay. <laughs> Welcome to the Women of Marvel. Thank you. You are <laughs> and have been a woman of Marvel for a long time. Yeah, I mean, it feels longer than it probably actually has been because I think the first cover that I actually did for Marvel was like, I want to say in 2017. Okay. So it actually hasn't, it's been like two years. I remember seeing like one of your images for the first time and I was like, (gasps) who is that? (laughs) So talented, so pretty. There's something so alluring about your art. Thank you. (laughs) Why don't you tell us a little bit about like how you got into it? Well, so I originally went to school for illustration because I thought that that was kind of the only potential avenue for me that would allow me to make pictures for a living. But once I graduated, I realized that there actually weren't a whole lot of illustration jobs out there that were suitable for me. Um, And I ended up kind of meandering for a while and trying to make a bunch of work that I thought would get me hired, but really wasn't appealing to anybody because it was like, work that I didn't really want to be making. And I think people definitely could pick up on that. Um, And so finally, when I kind of gave up on having an art career entirely and just decided, like, I'm going to do this for fun. And I'm just going to, like, make fan art of things that I like and just, like, post them for fun. And I'll have my other day job. And that's just what I'll do for money. And this is what I'll do for fun. People started to take notice. Mm -hmm. So really, I know it's kind of a cliche at this point, but fan art got me hired for sure. That's actually not the first time I've heard that. Like, yeah. the getting in through like fan art or mm-hmm. fan fiction gets people hired. So write your stuff, make your comics. Well, and it's also this we've talked a lot about on this podcast, how much social media has affected the way editors and different people mm-hmm. sort of working in the companies can now find new talent, yep. not just in, obviously in art, but also in writing. Mm-hmm. And you can tell because your art shows so much passion, you know, and it, it's one of those things where when you have a day job and it's your day job, mm-hmm. but then you go home and you do the thing you love. But now you've somehow connected the two. Yeah, yeah. And it, it definitely wasn't intentional. But I think what had happened is Kelly Thompson, actually, I think found one of my like fan art pieces a few years ago, and she sent it in to um, John Barber, who was the editor on Gem in the Holograms at IDW at the time. And he asked me to do a Gem in the Holograms cover. 
And then they just kept asking me for like 20 issues. <laughs> and so, yeah, I think a big part of it was just I had a style that was really suitable for the property at the time. And I just turned things in on time. An which, important thing. <laughs> very important. Which is rarer than it sounds in comics. Yes. Oh, my so, God. Yeah. That's my dream as an editor. Yeah. Oh, my God. The art's on time. Yeah. Yep. Yep. Uh, so, yeah, I think just a combination of like, turning things in on time and having a suitable style just kept getting me hired and then it snowballed from there. What do you think is the elements of comic book narrative storytelling art direction that you've learned that is maybe different from what you sort of initially thought when you got into it? Oh god everything because I mean coming from illustration I was accustomed to doing like singular illustrations like one single picture that sometimes is narrative but is really meant to accompany you know, an actual written story or an article or something along those lines. And with doing comics and sequential art, I mean, even a lot of the time with covers, even though they're standalone illustrations, there's there's a lot more flexibility with like how you can add in other design elements or, you know, whether that's word balloons or additional text or whatever. You, You just have a lot more flexibility, I think. There's a lot more different types of hats that I think comic and sequential artists have to wear. Uh, I didn't realize that I would have to know how to act a little bit in order to be able to draw sequentials, but it's a huge part of it. What does that mean? What do you mean by act? Yeah, so I think like um, in order to communicate, you know, just how a character is feeling, you have to be able to draw them emoting certain things, you know, Mm. and... Like, I joke about this, but for several years, I feel like all I ever drew were, like, people smizing, Mm -hmm. you know, like, just looking kind of intensely into the quote-unquote camera, because it was, like, cover and pinup art. So, really, the only thing I had to draw was people looking fierce or, you know, strong or whatever. Um, But once I got into actually drawing interiors, I had to suddenly draw people crying and, like, yelling and being really happy and all of these things. I mean, it's character acting, you know? Yeah, it's it's funny. I was talking to an artist who has a mirror, like, next to their drawing board. Yep. And they're constantly making crazy faces in the yep. mirror, taking pictures of it, asking their friends to make crazy poses and stuff. Yep. But, I mean, that's the way that you – I mean, as much as everyone has their own unique interpretation, that's really the way that you get, like, an authentic – characterization of somebody. Yep, for sure. I have done the same. (laughs) (laughs) I want to see those pictures. (laughs) Just like you in the mirror. I've uh, I've definitely opened up like photo booth on my computer and I've like (laughs) taken reference pictures and nobody is allowed to look in that application ever. Oh my God. (laughs) Yeah. That's a big deal. I feel like that's a sign of like a close friendship with Jen. She shows you that folder. Oh my God. Oh my God. They're all like me disheveled at like two in the morning taking like weird pictures of my face doing strange expressions (laughs) yeah (laughs) well what I love about your art is aside from you know the way that you create contrast with colors like how you saturate your colors how you play with hue it's also like your depiction of every single character that you portray is so distinct and they're (laughs) all unique too right like they're unique but they're beautiful at the same time and In particular, you are very sensitive to making sure that a character's identity is brought into every single line art of their face, their hair, their body structure, everything. Mm -hmm. What is that 
process for you? Obviously, why is that important to you? Which yeah. I think we all know why, but <laughs> why is that important to you? And then what is the process of being able to actually do that? Yeah, well, so a couple things. Uh, growing up as a kid in the 90s, I think there were just a lot of properties that really existed to sell toys, first and foremost. And so a lot of the cartoons and like, you know, even comics from our youth, I think overall as a generation, uh, especially with female characters, you didn't see a lot of different types of mm, you didn't see a lot of diversity with with the female characters especially I was growing up in Korea at the time and I just like didn't see any characters that looked like me in western cartoons and I think even in like a lot of the anime that I grew up with like there were a lot of like blonde haired blue eyed yeah. <laughs> lots of westernized yeah yeah it was yeah. just very popular during that time and so, yeah, I think just not having a whole lot of characters that I could like easily identify with or see myself in, now that I'm actually in the position of creating uh, work for younger people to consume, I just try and really keep that in mind. And I think also just the source material has gotten so much broader now. So, I mean, I'm not even having to do a whole lot of like character design or like I'm not really making a lot of changes the source material is already there now. There's already like so many more characters that exist in 2019 that didn't exist in like mm -hmm. 1995 or whatever. And well, so, there's so many gens of the world now, right? Yes. Like not so many, yeah. but more gens of the world are showing up and actually creating the content. Yeah. Too. So it feels like there's just a lot more to choose from already. And yeah, whenever I'm given the opportunity to draw a character, uh, particularly characters of color, I just like try to look up as much reference as possible because I think with my work in particular because it veers a little bit more representative and I don't know that it's like totally realistic but it definitely fits more into that category than like something that's more heavily like stylized or cartoony so I feel like trying to capture like accurate textures and features and those kinds of things become more important and yeah, I've just gathered a lot of reference material whenever I'm, you know, drawing a new character. I think one of the amazing things of sort of your work is you've now expanded to sort of outside of sort of the comics fandom, I'm using quotations, but like, <laughs> you know, you sell pens, you sell all this different merch, mm -hmm. but you're also doing, you know, projects with like Adidas for like the shoes <gasps> and Captain Marvel and Thanos. Of course I own so the shoes. So great. <laughs> I know. But you know, you've also worked with like Lindsay Vaughn, you've done mm -hmm. a Metallica poster. Like, Yeah, it's been really interesting and I've definitely been approached by clients that I did not think I would ever be working with, especially like something like Metallica. And it's funny because that was so Nakatomi Inc. is the poster company that handles all of the like gig posters for Metallica. And I think they've they've done it for the last several years, I believe. I was kind of having like a, you know, just off the cuff conversation with the owner a couple New York Comic Cons ago. And we were just on the floor, just like walking to a panel, casually talking. And I just mentioned that, you know, I'd always wanted to do, you know, band posters and things like that. But I just didn't see any women really getting hired in the like screen print or poster world. There's like two or three women who are pretty prominent. And then other than that, it's all men. And it was just a casual comment. <laughs> I didn't think anything of it. A year later, when he was hiring artists for the Metallica posters, 
he made sure that almost half of them were women. Wow. Wow. <laughs> yeah. And he told me later that it was my comment <laughs> that like made wow. him really think about it. And so I think part of why I got hired to do that is because I kind of like gave him some crap about it. <laughs> um, but yeah, it, it was a really cool opportunity. And, and since then, I've been able to recommend several more women for him to hire. And yeah, it's just cool to see someone in the poster scene kind of like try to expand their artist pool a little bit because... I mean, if you saw the Metallica poster lineup from this year, there's so much talent on that roster. That's so cool. I, I feel like that's the simplest thing is just saying, <laughs> hey, I, I'm here. I'm going to give you my opinion. Mm-hmm. Like, that's why we have to be in these spaces is because it is a small, simple, easy idea. And yeah. people aren't thinking of it because <laughs> we're just not around. Yeah. <laughs> And well, like just showing up and making a comment. Yeah. And suddenly yeah. <laughs> I know. You've like revolutionized that industry. <laughs> I know. I didn't Drop really the like mic, yeah. walk out. Good for you, Jen. Like, hey. hey, raise the roof. Yeah. I mean, also shoes. I like those Adidas shoes. When you dropped that on Twitter, I was like, okay, what day is it? Where am I? Okay. I like, I specifically walked by the Foot Locker store. Yeah. Because um, I was like, I don't think I'm going to be able to get them online because it's going to be so hard. So I walked oh by the Foot God. Locker and there was only five people in line. So I That's came awesome. to work. The shoes dropped at 10 a.m. At 9.45, I was like, peace, yo, I'm going to buy shoes. Took the subway, three stops, got in line. There were like 10 people in line, bought my shoes, came back into the office, and I was like, got my shoes. Uh I was so excited. (laughs) You can't get them anymore, right? Or are they still around? Yeah, they. so I don't know if they're doing... I don't know if they're putting out another run of them, but like I haven't heard anything new, so I don't have any news on that front. But well, you should do yeah. more. Please <laughs> so let I'm, us know. I may be working on some <gasps> others. <laughs> I can't provide any details, but yeah, I, I think there will be more for sure. What are you working on right now? It's that oh, you can God. talk about. Well, so I just finished up a big ad campaign for Aussie Hair Care, which is oh. like a strange thing that I didn't think was going to ever happen. But right now in L.A., there's like all these giant like billboards <laughs> with my art on them. Oh, That's really? Amazing. Yeah. Where? What streets? Yeah. I don't actually even know. But yeah, it was <laughs> it was just featured in like Us Weekly. And oh, yeah, cool. it's, it's like very strange because it's like it's pseudo comic art, but it's like incredibly mainstream. Um, And I think there's just a lot of companies that are looking to appeal to that audience because I think more and more now, especially with like the popularity of like the Marvel movies and stuff, I think that it's so common for like young women especially to be like really into comic art. And so, yeah, I, I just finished up that. I mean, mostly it's just been covers Lots and lots of cover. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, what I love, what I love about what's happening now is like comic artists are becoming more mainstream, yeah. like you said. Yep. And just like you know, I love that people are making the world aware that there's such talent, mm-hmm. and then also that comic art is like really cool and awesome. Yeah, yeah. Also, what comic art encompasses mm-hmm. now is so much broader totally. than it was even like a decade ago I think I mean and also you know you're always on Twitter at your, <laughs> you know I, I follow you and I love it so much you're always like answering people's questions you're posting advice and suggestions mm-hmm. which I think is really important especially you know so many people go to school mm-hmm. what they think they should go to school for learn very quickly that maybe you don't need a four-year degree to work in comics yeah yeah and I think a lot of the time I feel like every couple of months there's like the art school discourse that happens on the Mm. internet and I understand why it happens because like not just art school but just college in general these days is so prohibitively expensive that it's it's hard for me personally to like recommend that anyone 
invest that much into a degree that they don't necessarily need for an art-related job. Mm. Um, That being said, I do think there are a lot of really invaluable things that can come out of art school if it's something that makes sense financially for you. But, you know, even for me, like somebody who went to a four-year art school and, and graduated with a degree, I feel like the majority of my learning that I did that applies directly to my job today happened after school. It happened online. <laughs> and so, you know, I I hesitate to tell anyone, don't go to school because it's so personal and it just comes down to, you know, what's right for each individual person. But I do really strongly believe in like sort of crowdsourcing information and being open about things. And I think more now than ever before, there are a lot of creators that are just like really, really open with their process and, um, you know, even like industry information, like people are really generous Mm. about, you know, what they're willing to share online. And and I'm glad that that culture is kind of going to that place because I think it's important to share information. Well, you also, I think, which is awesome, which I just learned about this, that you mentor um, oh, folks, yeah. you're here. You're here for FlameCon, mm-hmm. and there's a couple of artists that you've been mentoring. What's that process been like for you? Yeah. Um, as someone who sort of gained success in the last couple of years, now you're, and I love that you're passing it along. But what's that? What's that been like? Yeah. So it was sort of a two part thing for me with comic conventions. A lot of them will invite um, you know guest creators out because it's something that the attendees want to see, or it helps them you know sell more tickets or get more of an audience or whatever, you know, there's there's lots of reasons to invite guests out. But a lot of the time when they do that, they cover the cost of the guest's table and sometimes airfare, sometimes even hotel. And so um, because I was a guest of FlameCon this year, it felt like a good opportunity for me to take, you know, what I would have been spending had I not been a guest and to put that into someone else's table and, you know, and stuff like that. And so... The first part of it was that I would pay for two artists. So they they each have a half table. They're sharing the table that's actually right next to mine. And so I would pay for their table and I would pay for all of their like displayers and promotional materials and all of that. And so, you know, a lot of the preparation that they were doing for the convention that would have maybe been more cost prohibitive, they had covered because um, I think that that's a, a big barrier for a lot of like beginner artists, you know, and so that was one thing that was really important. And then after that, it was just, you know, I'm somebody who I don't know that I necessarily got my start doing conventions, but, you know, I, I did my first ever comic convention at uh, Emerald City 2016. And since then, it's just turned into like... I have a a fully functioning, like, always open web store now. It's definitely been a part of my business that has grown over the last few years. And because that was something that came out of conventions, I wanted to be able to help two other artists kind of, like, go that route if that's something they wanted. So, yeah, it's it's been really cool. And I think just being able to, like, take the financial burden off of, you know, two people has been a big thing. You know, the the interesting thing is that you're actually an entrepreneur, <laughs> right? Like you never, you probably didn't expect that you're like, oh, yeah. I just want to do art. And then suddenly like you have your own business, yep. your online business. It's very weird. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, and it's definitely not every comic artist is, you know, is necessarily in the exact same boat that I'm in, but there are more of us than you would think. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, there's a lot of us. And I think a lot of us have sort of fallen into it 
without realizing that that's what it would become. Oh, I'm constantly on your website being like, what can I get? <laughs> oh, my God. I own almost every single gender oh my God. <laughs> It's a problem. Not a problem. It's a good problem to have. Yeah, you guys should check that. Check out yeah. her website because there's some really beautiful stuff on there. Um, also, uh, I realized, you know, we talked about FlameCon, but we should talk about what actually FlameCon is. Um, yeah. It's a NYC convention, mm-hmm. and they are an LGBTQ plus uh, convention that really advocates for Everyone in the acronym, mm-hmm. you know, they have wide range of guests. And so it happens every year in August. Um, so this podcast will be going on after the convention. But look for your local conventions because mm-hmm. those are the ones where you're really going to discover and find these new artists that are up and coming that might be the next Jen Bartel. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, FlameCon is really cool, too, because it's uh, it essentially is just one big artist alley, which, in my opinion is the best part of every convention. I totally agree. (laughs) Like, I know going to the exhibitors hall and stuff is always fun, but I feel like you find the coolest stuff in Artist Alley. Um, And so, yeah, FlameCon is pretty much just one big Artist Alley, and they do a lot of, like, education-focused panels, too, which is really cool. And I think they're also, like, after I uh, talked to them about launching my mentorship program, I think they had every guest agree to do some kind of panel or workshop type of thing. So it's cool that they're kind of moving in that direction. Can I ask you, you know, with with artists and creators just across the board, Mm -hmm. sometimes when you get, like, stuck and you need to be able to find inspiration... What's your go-to to be able to just kind of reset and yeah. start again? Yep. I feel like one thing that doesn't really get talked about a lot, um, you know, in these sort of like art discussions is the importance of consuming. Mm-hmm. Um, I always look at it sort of like a gas tank, you know, or anything that needs to be refilled. Because I think that like with every new movie or comic or game or even just like outing, taking a walk, whatever, things that you see in real life, um, those things all act as sort of deposits into the creative bank. And when you don't, when you aren't sort of like participating in life as much, (laughs) when you're only focused on output, eventually that tank is going to run dry, you know? And so I think for me, especially like the most important thing is just taking time to very intentionally watch new shows and read new books and do things that and even like revisiting old things that I really loved, you know, and looking at them with a new eye. All of that helps feed back into, you know, the creative process. And I think like a lot of people feel guilty about taking a couple days to just like relax and Mm -hmm. like consume some media that they love because it feels like it's not work. It feels like it's not as quantifiable, but that's all part of being an artist, I think. That is the best advice I've ever heard. <laughs> Jen Bartel is asking everyone to just get on their couch, yeah. turn on some Netflix, yep. relax. You're speaking to Sada. <laughs> I know. You're just speaking to my heart. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's important, though, and people will make you feel, like, guilty about it almost. Mm-hmm. Like, oh, if you're not producing all the time, then, you know, you're not doing a good enough job. But all of that stuff is equally important, I think. A follow-up question to that, you know, we've talked about the idea of conventions. There are 20 cons every weekend. You know, obviously (laughs) artists expect, you know, there's this expectation that they have to go to every single convention. Mm -hmm, But you've mm -hmm. sort of made uh, an awareness that too many conventions is draining in its own way. Yes. (laughs) What do you think is a suggestion for artists who, you know, are trying to get a foot into the business and trying to find that medium between going to too many or not enough conventions? Yeah. 
So I am like a very high functioning introvert. <laughs> like I can mm. fake being an extrovert for one convention at a time. But like I definitely go home after doing a convention and I need to just like be quiet and be by myself for like three days <laughs> and just kind of recoup that energy. Um, and so I know that there are a lot of artists out there who feel this like obligation to physically be at shows and to sit at a table and meet people in person. And I do think that, you know, if if doing comics is, um, you know, a, a high priority goal for you, then Yes, going to comic conventions is probably going to help you achieve that faster, but I don't think it's necessary. I think especially today with how accessible communities are online and with how easy it's become to sell product online too, I don't necessarily think that tabling at a convention is like 100% necessary anymore. That being said, I feel like even doing just like one or two shows, just like picking the ones that most appeal to you and feel like they make the most sense for, you know, what what you are into as an artist, that's probably the best place to start. Because the first year I was doing conventions, I did like three and that felt like a good amount. And then the following year, somehow I did like nine and I wanted to die. <laughs> I was like, never again. Um, and so it's about finding that balance. And this year I'm back down to like five or something. And so that feels like a good place for me. But I know artists that do like 13 conventions a year and, you know, they're traveling twice a month and it just seems insane to me. But, you know, it, it just comes down to what you can handle, I think. Um, but there's a lot of pressure within comics, I think, in in a lot of different directions, <laughs> um, not only to like be constantly posting and constantly creating and all of this stuff, but also to be at every convention. And I think that people get, you know, a certain amount of like FOMO, <laughs> uh, not being physically at shows. But for the most part, everyone's just like really tired and, mm -hmm. you know, <laughs> just like working the whole time. So you're not missing a whole lot. <laughs> well, you have to do like a cost benefit analysis, right? Just yeah. like how, what am I actually going to get at this convention? Yeah. Versus what is it going to do to my soul? And, yep. and, and also, like, on, on top of that, like, how long does it take for you to recover from a convention? Yes. You know, I don't think you realize until you do one how on you have to be. Yes. Every moment. There's that. And there's also, like, if you are an artist who has a table in Artist Alley, if you're selling your prints or original art or, you know, whatever it is that you're selling – Yes, you're an artist, but you're also like a retail employee of your table that weekend. Mm -hmm. So it goes from you having to just worry about making art to all of a sudden now you have to be like good at customer service. Mm -hmm. And it's a totally different skill set. <laughs> and not everyone is good at it and not everyone wants to do it. So, yeah, I mean, I think there's there's a lot to consider. And sometimes it's yeah, sometimes it's not worth it. <laughs> well, what would you say is like your, I guess, piece of advice, ultimate piece of advice to creators like you would give to your mentors, but to artists trying to, to break in outside yeah. of count how many conventions you go to? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So when I graduated from art school, I was like convinced. I, OK, so I think we had a we had a guest speaker come into one of my classes and I can't remember who it was, but I remember he said something along the lines of, it'll probably take you five years after graduating 
to actually start getting consistent illustration work. And I was like, yeah, yeah, whatever. You're old. (laughs) 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 And that's not going to happen. Five years is an eternity. And like, I'm going to start getting work as soon as I graduate. And like, this isn't, that's just ridiculous. Why would you tell someone who just spent four years in school that it's going to take five years for them to like break in? It took me six. <laughs> um, yeah, it took me six. And Did it you took... go back and give that professor an apple? <laughs> <laughs> I just was like, oh, yeah. <laughs> it it uh, definitely humbled me. Um, but yeah, a, a big part of that was just that for years after I graduated, I was building out a portfolio full of work that I thought would get me hired. It was work that I thought people wanted to see, that I thought would get me jobs, Um, that ultimately was not authentic to me or my voice at all. And I think that people pick up on that. So I guess my my biggest advice would be to create work that is authentic to you. Um, And don't make what you think people want to see. Just make what you want to make and what you want to see in the world. Um, Because when you're like genuinely excited about something, people pick up on that and it's contagious. And the minute I started allowing myself to make like the 90s Lisa Frank inspired, like super colorful, fun pieces that I started making, um, it immediately started resonating with people. And I, someone asked me this like just yesterday, actually, on Twitter, um, like, where was I five years ago? And I answered and I said, um, I had never drawn a cover. I had never drawn any sequential art before. Like I had zero experience <laughs> drawing comic interiors. I had 400 followers on Twitter. Nobody knew who I was. And, um, you know, now I don't know how many covers I've drawn, but it's over 100. I have a creator-owned book at Image. I've drawn issues of Black Panther. I have like 140-some thousand followers on Twitter. And so things change in five years. Um, And yeah, I, I guess... I don't think any of that would have happened if I was making work that wasn't true to who I was, you know? That's awesome. (laughs) That really is so awesome. Thank you. We work with artists now that like five years ago we would never have worked with because suddenly they just turn the corner and you're like, oh my God, like this person is actually really talented. They've worked on their craft. I'm that artist. (laughs) (laughs) That was me. me. (laughs) Five years ago, yeah, no. Like I would not have been, I was not getting hired five years ago. Yeah, now you're too busy (laughs) for us to be able to get you a cover. We're like, oh no, she's like, I'm busy. I got got 15 covers. I'm so happy for you, Jen. It's so amazing. Sort of, you know, you were on, I think, our C2E2 panel in 2017 Mm -hmm. to see your art grow. I remember we were getting ready for C2E2, and I was like, I want Jen on my my panel. Um, But to see you grow and to see, you know, you you take that and turn it around to the next artist, Mm -hmm. and that's pretty phenomenal. Thank you. (laughs) Um, So, where can fans find you? Where can they find your store, your Twitter, and all that jazz? Yeah. Uh, So, my store is just jenbartel.shop. My website is jenbartel.com, and I am at heyjenbartel on all social media. Awesome. Well, I highly recommend you guys check out everything Jen Bartel <laughs> and Hey Jen Bartel. There's a lot of pretty stuff up there. It's um, so pretty. Yeah. Thank and you. Go buy stuff. Go buy it, too. <laughs> it really will make you feel better. 
Thanks again to Jen for joining us. Go and follow her on social media and uh, put PlayMacon on your calendar for next year if you guys can. Also, speaking about conventions, um, we just wanted to send a huge thank you to all the fans who came to our panel at New York Comic Con a couple weekends ago. It was such a great panel from you know the amazing guests that we were joined by to the fact that we were able to world premiere Marvel Rising Operation Shuri. Just being in the room while we all watched it like it was so cute I really loved it um, and thanks to everyone who came up and talked to me and Sana and all of us to say how much you love the podcast we really 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 do appreciate it we'll be back next time with uh, a great deep dive in how comics are made as we follow an upcoming release from the editors to the writers to the artists to the colors to everyone so make sure you stay tuned for that Today's episode was hosted by me, Judy Stevens, and I was joined by Sana Amanat to interview the amazing Jen Bartell. It was produced by Rebecca Seidel, Persia Verlin, and Zachary Goldberg. Our development manager is Kieran Heffa, and Jill Duboff is our director of audio. We'll see you guys next time. This is Marvel, your universe.